Have you ever wondered what the heck is next for me? I hear a lot of women say they don't have what it takes to start something new or they are too old, but many women overcome all kinds of obstacles and then go on to something even better. Over the years, I've worked a lot of traditional jobs as well as direct sales businesses, but never realized the success I was hoping for until I released my emotional baggage. Once I had cracked the code of my emotions, I knew I could help other women do the same. Join us here as we chat with female experts as they share their inspirational stories and challenges in business and life, because it is never too late. I'm your host, Cora Naylor, and this is the Crack the Code podcast. Are you a people pleaser? Maybe tired of being a people pleaser? Welcome to the Crack the Code podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about just that. Uh, Today, we're talking to Jetty, who is a speaker, model, and wellness advocate. As a CEO of True Jetty, she uses her personal stories of invisible illness, bulimia, Lyme disease, and depression to help women wake up from a life on autopilot and unapologetically go after their desires. Rebelling against the perfectly curated influencer image, complete with unattainable standards, she focuses on the real contradictions of life like fashion over 40, beauty without the heavy edit, and having enough while still wanting more. Jetty is with an IAWP health wellness coach, holds certifications in makeup artistry and image consulting, and has successfully completed two Ironmans. Welcome, Jetty. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I did not know you had done two Ironmans. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that was a few years back, 2012 and 2013. That's a lot of training that goes into all that kind of stuff. Yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. So before we really get into the whole people-pleasing part of it, maybe you can just give us a little bit of your uh, background because you've had a lot of health issues and I'm sure that part of where you're going came from where you were and all those issues that you had. Uh, Yeah, well, first off, I'm Dutch-born, living in Canada, Mm. and I moved here with my husband 20 years ago, and in my 40s, I started to have well, health issues, and it turned out to be Lyme disease. And actually, I had a breast implants at the time too, which are figured out later were causing problems. But that deep rock bottom with my health really um, skyrocketed or, you know, cycled into uh, into my new my new second life, my new my new chances. Yeah, my new life. Mm. And was the bulimia and that, was that prior? Like, was that younger times when you were? Bulimia, yeah. Yeah, I was from, I was 18 until 40. But then I still struggled actually until I was 50 with binge eating. Not as severe, but yeah, definitely diets or having rules around food cost me all those issues and also issues with body image not accepting certain parts about my body yeah I mean that's really really common especially in our society and what were some of the things that helped you turn that around well 
not dieting anymore, having no limitations, but that was really the last step I could implement. The first things were really healing my past, healing my traumas, uh, things that I had experienced during childhood, teenage years. And um, yeah, my my eating disorder started in a world where, where there was no social media. So the pressure was there too. And I believe it came from having older siblings always talking about diet or things that weren't right about our bodies. Yeah, it's so common. I think it's slowly turning around, but um, just figuring out the relationship with food because there's so much emotion that it's so emotionally charged. Um, And so you believe that that's where it started in childhood. I think that's really common. Yeah, it it really started when I was around eight and when I kind of linked food or eating certain foods with love or it gave me kind of like warmth and and also it was numbing, uh, of course, too. But the hard thing was with having Lyme disease is that a lot of doctors say, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. So I was really trying to be perfect about those things to while spiraling me into more eating rules and eating disorder. So it was kind of a never ending <laughs> thing. And uh yeah, so that was yeah, the that's complicated then, isn't it? So mm-hmm. so how old were you when you found out you had Lyme disease? It was in 2017. So I have to do some math. Oh, I was 45. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And but I had been struggling with issues for four years then. And we were kind of suspecting Lyme disease. I even had a bullseye rash on my mm-hmm. left breast, mm-hmm. which only 30% of people actually get. But it, the society and medical world is so pushy that I kind of put it really in the back of my brain and just listen, Lyme is not real or it's it's this, it's that. So I had a lot of different diagnoses until I got the Lyme disease diagnosed. Yeah. But I had a wonderful medical doctor here in Canada, actually, that supported me through that um, journey. Oh, that's good. I know I know a couple other ladies, actually, that I've interviewed recently and another lady that I know um, from BC who had it. But it took her over a year to get diagnosed because no one knew what was going on with her. So, yeah. And then once you had that, so were you still kind of working on getting over your eating habits when you had Lyme disease? So you kind of had them both at the same time? Yeah, I had them both at the same time. Although I did not have bulimia anymore. That ended when I was 40. But I still had, yeah, rules around food and doctors were kind of complicating it for me. Mm -hmm. You can't eat that, you can't eat that. And so it is so you want to get better and you believe that all those things. So it's, and I restricted myself, but then after two weeks or so, I would completely lose it, eat one cookie and then devour the whole kitchen. Yeah, yeah, that Um, was hard. Yeah. So how did you get through all of that? What was your strategy there? I did, at that time, I did low carb eating with sort of like refeed days while I could have carbs. Mm. And that did help me. 
to allow kind of to eat kind of like junk foods. Yeah. But to be quite honest, I and and I have counted calories for a whole my whole life up until last year when I turned 50 in January, I turned 50 and I started working actually with a registered dietitian who is specialized in food freedom, no mm. rules, no mm. bad foods. And that really, really helped. I had to let go also of a certain body image. I always was going after skinnier than I am now, but I feel so much better and more um, energized. I have so, yeah, it definitely healed, healed my body too. Like eating the extras and weird enough, I don't need to eat ice cream every day anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's really like, yeah, with when you forbid certain things, you want it. And mm-hmm. so it's it's been quite the journey. And I'm also really a strong advocate now for all sizes are beautiful because I am more like a medium built woman. And in the modeling industry, you see extra small and extra large. In there's a whole range of people yeah. in that middle. And, and I... Yeah, that's, I think, something important we have to, or yeah. I want to share with the world, also for our daughters and sons. That Yeah, yeah. And it will help if media, like magazines and websites and stuff, start using yeah. models more as real people and real sizes, so we're not led to believe these unreal expectations. So I'm yeah. curious, because we were going to talk about people-pleasing today, yeah. how some of that background came into the people-pleasing part of it for you. You mean the... Yeah, we had diet. it like, yeah, did that, how, you know, because you were so worried about your weight and then you had this Lyme disease and, you know, was people-pleasing part of your upbringing or do you think that was part of your um, self-awareness, how you were worried, concerned about your body and stuff? Like, um. No, I don't. I I think they were two separate things. I think I really tried people pleasing really hard while I was a child. I kind of had to, to stay safe. I had older siblings and they all had different opinions. So I just, you know, I was all these chameleon personalities and pleasing everybody while totally losing who I was, my authenticity and I did want to be seen and heard and really say my truth or but I but I couldn't so I I do think they were uh, connected yeah and it's a very interesting question like the food the food was kind of the drug right to yes to bring you back yeah yeah yeah, to bring me back yeah yeah and then did that carry on the people pleasing because I know a lot of us do it maybe not all the time but sometimes it's easy to just you know, when you're married or whatever, in your family, it's just easier to kind of go with the flow and, you know, help please somebody else just to avoid something else happening in the background. Did you kind of carry that forward into, you know, your adolescence and up into, you know, getting married and all that? I did. Yeah. And, And although my husband is a very easygoing person, I still noticed that I think in my late 40s, I, I, turned I, I kind of got out of this this suit of people pleasing 
but it did carry on with friendships uh, in workplaces yeah all situations and and actually getting the Lyme disease really changed that around because I I realized at some point I can eat all the healthy foods I can take all the drugs I can take all the supplements but if I don't change what's inside of me then I'm not never gonna get 100% healthy or as healthy as I can be and so I really realized at some point, late 40s, that my body and mind are really one. You know, I always thought people talking about it's so weird. <laughs> no, it truly is. Your, your mind gives signs to your body and you store things in your body. And, and yeah, people pleasing was something that made me very, very, very unhappy. And And I lost people through it eventually because... I was the, the pleasing type, this the play small girl or yeah. woman. Yeah. And at some point I could not be that person anymore, which I'm yeah. very grateful for. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. And and was that part of the depression or was that depression part earlier? I, th- I think so. Yeah. It, just not being able to even know who I was anymore because I was pleasing everybody. Yeah. And it's like everything. I mean, I work with people with their emotions and releasing their negative trapped emotions from past events. And everything starts within, you know, we keep trying like a new diet, a new this and a new that. um, Because we don't want to look inside and see what's really going on and what's the cause behind it. Yeah. 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 So powerful. (laughs) Yeah. So when did you make some shifts then to get away from the people pleasing and share with, you know, how you did that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to be listening and going, yes, that's me. How do I stop doing this? Yeah, it it actually started really in 2017 with my diagnosis that I got. And at that time, when I had a diagnosis, my father-in-law was passing away in the Netherlands. And his last words to me were like, oh, that's so beautiful that you know now. And he was a person who always saw me uh, and and same for my husband too. So then I was, and and, and a doctor said, what what is happening inside, a medical doctor said that. And and she was actually in in the US. So I I visited the US too. And she said, what's inside you? Um, is also important so you have to start like meditating and and I started doing that (laughs) I I did not like it at all (laughs) I I did not know how to sit still but I found my methods I I, I'm not the meditation type that sits still I like to listen to things so it's different for everybody but I I just realized I started to become more aware of, of how people treated me And that really started to clash. And I think I had one conversation with a friend that I had to stand up for myself for the first time. And still, when I visited that, you know, I I recently visited that in my thoughts because we are talking about this now. Uh And it's still a little, yeah, it's still hard, but that was when I had started standing up for myself and that relationship of course started to crumble because 
yeah, the dynamics started to be different. And yeah. I was alone for a while. I had no, well, I always have my husband and kids, so I never mm-hmm. was alone. But I had no close friendships for a while other than in the Netherlands because I had to walk away from those dynamics yeah. in order to grow myself and start to have my own voice. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable, like you say, to um, change that dynamic in certain relationships. But if you want to change, something has to change and it's it needs to come from within. But it doesn't have to be in a bad way. If you hopefully can have a conversation with somebody and create those boundaries and like you say, maybe you're you're growing away from those people and you need to surround yourself with different people that are more supportive. Yeah. And it was definitely a gradual thing. It was not like it happened in one day, but yeah. yeah. And, and I also still have friends from when I was like 19. So mm-hmm. when you are able to be yourself and set boundaries, it, it can work, but it, it's in the end, it's so much better. It's uncomfortable at the time, but always remember that being uncomfortable often is is good and is a sign of growth. Yeah. So um, just we got a few minutes left, but if you had a tip that you wanted to share with somebody who is listening and they know that they're a people pleaser and they're not happy because things are not going the way they want because they're allowing other people to be you know, taking over and they're not standing up to themselves. Do you have any kind of tips that allow someone to get started on on this road? Yeah, I would probably start writing things down in a journal. What what you have said and what you have wanted to have said Mm -hmm. differently. And also how you feel now versus how you want to feel in that relationship. And I think just becoming aware of those situations are are key and and I writing them down. I'm not a big journaler myself, but I do write these things down. Yeah. And and you always don't you also don't do it perfect all the time, which is fine. It's it's really a gradual learning. And I I think really yeah, really important is how do you want to feel? Yeah. about yourself and in a relationship Yes. Oh, that's awesome. And I do love that journaling. I know I have not usually been into journaling myself either. I never really knew how to do it. But recently, in the last few months, I started doing what's called morning pages. And I love that. If people, if you're wondering about this, people are listening, um, Google it. It's it's a, uh, just a conscious, unconscious writing. You just get up and write three pages every morning when you first get up, when your mind's just getting going. And it's just a brain dump. You can write down whatever you're going to be doing today or whatever. If you're, you know, had a conversation, you can be mean. You can write, you know, anything down. It doesn't have to make any sense. But what I have found that it is very therapeutic. And as you're going through those pages, all of a sudden thoughts start coming to you. Like you say, if you start by saying you had that conversation with somebody that went sideways yesterday, all of a sudden your subconscious may be coming up with, you know, a theme on how you can make that a better conversation the next time. So I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. 
Awesome. So um, just as we're wrapping up here, Jetty, if people want to reach out and maybe talk to you more, because you've got a lot of really interesting things in your background, and I'm sure that a lot of the listeners might want to learn more about you and what you do, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way is to uh, look up my Instagram, if you're on Instagram, and my handle is true yeti t-r-u-j-e-t-t-y so yeti speaks her truth mm-hmm. always and yeah i have a website with the same name but right. i think instagram is where most of the action happens awesome well thanks so much for sharing that we'll have that in the notes for the folks to listen to and just remember everybody if that is something you're doing if you're finding that you're too much of a people pleaser and you want to make a change, look within. There are lots of ways to switch that around because it's never too late. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share us with your friends. Visit my website, coranaylor.com to learn more about the Emotion Code or sign up for my free virtual co-working sessions.